Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, interviewer, broadcaster and podcaster. Phoebe Bridgers, while publicising her new album Punisher, said that Eric Clapton's music is extremely mediocre and that he is a famous racist. In fact, in the original lyric for Moonsong, one of the tracks on the album, she said, We hate Eric Clapton, but it's sad that his baby died. Though those lines, she later changed to We hate tears in heaven, but it's sad that his baby died. Okay, first let me stress, I am no apologist for Clapton. I don't own even one of his albums, although as a kid I did buy Blues Breakers. But much as one might be trying to score a political point or make an impact on social media, and much as I like Phoebe Bridges' album, it is, with all due respect to her, faintly ludicrous to say that all the man's music is mediocre. Many of Clapton's recordings with Cream and Blind Faith and his solo albums plus solo songs such as Tears in Heaven itself, which he alludes to during this interview, have more than withstood the sometimes merciless test of time. As for the accusation of racism, I failed miserably during this interview to push him harder on the subject, even though I did at least raise it, which may have led to the interview being ended prematurely. After all, I'd already pissed off Sam Phillips, founder of Sun Records, by asking why he abandoned black musicians after finding what he said he'd always been looking for. And yes, these are the words I used because I'd heard he did. A white boy who could sing like a nigger. So I sure as hell would have explored further with Clapton the subject of racism if I'd known more than merely the basic fact that he had once publicly aligned himself with racist Tory MP Enoch Powell. But it wasn't until I was preparing this podcast today, August 16, 2020, that I read the full transcription of Clapton's racist rant from a stage in Birmingham, England on August the 5th, 1976. He later blamed drink and drugs, but I suspect that both merely helped unleash what he really was feeling, a suspicion that is deepened by the fact that during this interview 15 years later, he sides with Powell and even says, just before the interview has ended, that he might have written songs about the subject if that didn't mean he would have to explain himself for the rest of his life. Methinks he will be, anyway. So what did Clapton say that night in 76? Hey, my name ain't Trump. I don't want to spread divisive BS in this podcast. Go Google it. Suffice to say, addressing all foreigners at the concert, he told them, leave the hall, leave our country. Ah, hell, I may as well quote some of Eric's more incendiary lines. Stop Britain from becoming a black colony. The Wogs, Coons, the Arabs and the effing Jamaicans don't belong here. This is a white country. What is happening to us? Tears in heaven indeed. And maybe God was crying. By the way, if you want to read the original article I wrote out of this interview, check joejacksoninterviewer.com. Find it difficult to compose again? I had, I had a very hard... No, it's, I don't really compose in a normal day, you know. I mean, a norm, in a normal life, let's say, uh, I'm not a composer. I have no aspirations to be a composer. I don't... Uh, it's not something I particularly enjoy and I've always made a point in my life to do things that give me satisfaction or enjoy that and then playing playing is is what does it most of the time so I only compose if I'm in an emotional situation if if, if I'm uh, ex- experiencing extreme happiness extreme sadness and grief these things then I compose because I have to fix myself which is why I compose it's, I compose always to get better to heal myself from damage and so at the moment you know I, i've had a very bad year 
very terrible things happened, and uh, so I'm composing. But not. But when we made Journeyman, I wanted, what did I want? I had a love affair. Big deal, you know. What am I going to do? I wrote one song about a love affair. That's all I could manage because it wasn't that big a deal. And unless you know someone, unless it's really like the love of your life, or you know, like what do you? It doesn't really come up. I have that answers. <laughs> so you started composing again? Yes, there is already. I have maybe six songs now that, that will be that I will record next year. I've started recording now. Started recording in Los Angeles songs <coughs> about my son, and uh, I have three that are put on tape, and there, will, there are three more. And I, every day I start to work on another one. It's coming all the time, and this is because it. I need. That is the way I fix myself. That is the way. I recover from the, the disaster. Is it going to be this blues I don't know. I don't know because the songs come out in their own. They have their own entity, you know. If see, if you're writing a blues, you take what have you got? You have a 12 bar, and all you can really write is a lyric. You, the music is more or less there, the same, you know, has been for all the years. But a song sometimes will take its own shape, and it may not be anything that we, we recognize. Could all, I mean, the first song I wrote about my son is called almost like a samba, and I don't understand samba. why. Yeah, I don't. I have it's all, I have no control over that. I mean, I could. Yeah, I do have a control. I could say, well, I don't like what I'm writing. I'm not going to do this. But I don't think that's right. I think you have to let whatever it is come out and, and respect it and, and finish it. And then if you finish it, well, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. But then, then I think, well, people have a right to hear this. They can make their opinion. They don't like it, fine, but they have the right. They must be able to hear it. Are you afraid those songs about your son might be a bit too personal, or should they just be kept like for yourself? Is there not that element? It's difficult, isn't it? I don't know. I, 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 I once again, you see, what? Where do you make? Where do you draw the line? You see, my my attitude towards my son is that now I owe I owe it to him. It's like I, what I've lost it. What am I going to do? I have to kind of pay my respects to that boy and let the world know what I thought of him, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't want to make it a secret what I felt about right. him. And I talk about it a lot, because if I didn't, I might as well lock myself in a dungeon and throw away the key. But not really publicly, do you? Yes, I do. Right. I talk to anybody anywhere about it. They want to talk about it. I'll talk about it, because it helps me sure. to get over it. And, and writing the songs helps me. And I think people are expecting, are, you know, I know that the people I know in England that are dear fans, they want to know what I think about it. They think they'd be disappointed if I hit it, you know. Mm -hmm. Don't you? Well, I get a sense from you know, the, the so-called blues side of the uh, selection, songs like Hoodoo Man and Have You Ever Loved a Woman, mm. they seem to burn from a point maybe deeper inside. Yeah. I don't know whether that's because it's the elemental blues or because they're written, well, the latter out of a personal heartache. Yeah. I mean, what is the force? I mean, why do they come across maybe to me uh, as that much stronger? You know, is it, is it the form? I think it could be. The, I think it's a combination again of, bo of both those things. You know, that the, it's because I know blues so well. It's it's easily accessible for my emotion. I mean, I can get, I can sink into that quickly. Whereas if I'm composing a song, as I am with my son, then I construct something, and it becomes not not just the performance of it that has the 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 quality of of, of expression, but the construction of it. So. For instance, the way one chord moves into another chord evokes the sadness as much as the way I sing it. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Whereas in a blues, it's actually the way you perform it that makes the difference. Because you can have two different blues singers singing the same song, and one has the force and the other one doesn't. But 
a song in itself can have all those qualities, no matter who sings it. You know, Georgia mm -hmm. on my mind. Yeah. Anyone can sing that song, and it still makes you feel great. It makes you feel sad or whatever. So that's what I try to do when I'm composing: is give the the emotion to the, the structure of the song. Uh, how much do you elaborate on? When you said you were, uh, it was coming more or less spontaneously when you. After what happened to you, I mean, Stevie Ray, your son, your manager, did you have a feeling, a mystical point of view, that's it, you know, this devil's music uh, is a dark force? <laughs> did I go too far? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> the Robert Johnson mystic, uh, maybe you went to the crossroad without realizing? Wow. <laughs> I think that's a great little fantasy for for young people. <laughs> When you experience death, you see that there you have no control over it, and whatever you think, and whatever you construct as a theory about why things happen is nonsense, because no one can really know which one of us in this room will be here tomorrow, you know, and, and what reason there will be for why he is gone, you know. And I, I learned that from my son, you know, because there's no explanation. If I would want one, then I can fabricate the most awful, awful guilt for myself. That, you know, I did something, I must have done something in my karma so bad to deserve this. But what would I get, you know? What would I get? And what would I experience? Self-pity and indulgence, you know? It, it's, uh, and sickness, really, in the end, I think. You know, spiritual and mental sickness as a result. So, to be philosophical about it, I think we just have to say, I don't understand. And to be honest, I don't understand. Because Stevie Ray was three years sober. He was living a great, honest life and being a fantastic human being. So he didn't do, I mean, there was no reason, you know, there was no reason. And he was, at the, he was up the ladder very high musically. There was no one near him. And what I, my first, you know, the, the only thing I did come close to thinking was, well, maybe that's, it was time for him to go because he couldn't get any better. But that's very selfish thinking too. Very, I mean, who, how do I know? How the hell do I know how much good? He could have got even better and better and better and better. So I don't think um, it's, it's ever very wise to make a summation of why these things happen. You know? Would you ever know why it didn't happen to you, though? Because like two of the musicians who played on Layla are dead. Yeah. You know, do you ever step back or looking at Janice or, yeah. or Morrison and say, yeah. why am I blessed? Yeah, why am I blessed? Yeah, because then I haven't, obviously, I, I, there is a reason. You know, there is a reason that I'm not really supposed to, I don't think I'm supposed to know it. And, I, and you know, if I was <coughs> even go, given an inkling of that, I'd probably go insane. You know, if we want to know the truth, we're going to see everything, you know, <laughs> your mind would, would fry. So I mean, the simple way of me looking at it is that, you know, I've got a responsibility and a, a, to, to, to express my gratitude for still being alive after everything that I've experienced. And that the best way I can do that is by making music and by doing my best to make it accessible to people that, that enjoy it. Do you believe, though, in a God force, apart yes, from you being God? I know, no, yeah, no. we know that one. Well, no. well, I mean, <laughs> well, you may know it. I'm not so sure I do. But I do believe, yeah, I do no. believe in, in, a, in a higher power, yeah. And yeah. that has helped you through? All the time, every day. For 15, 10, 15 years, for how long was Really, as a, as a, as a positive, uh, practical way of living, I, I think I prayed, only just started praying really four years ago, you know, uh, in a, you know, just in terms of, well, what do I do at the end of the day? I go down on my knees and I say, thank you for the great things that happened. But I don't know who I'm talking to. I don't go to church. It's not like a, 
you know, inside a building or anything. It's just something I do because I don't know any other way to do it. You know, it's a, but it works for me. It works for me. Talking about drugs and drink, did you learn, any, did you learn anything during this period? Drugs and drugs. I I learned a lot of bad things. I learned uh, how to be uh, unreliable. I learned how to be negative, I learned how to hide and, uh, and how to insult people. Um, <laughs> I learned about all of the worst things in life really and, and I've spent the last four years trying to undo all that. Um, so, you know, I don't subscribe to anything that I think you can get out of a bottle or, or, or a, a bottle of pills or, or a, you know, a joint. I don't think there's anything there really that you can make of use. To, to humankind. I mean, there are th certain things that that will trigger in your brain. You know, if you take a line of coke or if you smoke some mescaline, certain things happen to your brain that are very pleasurable for yourself alone. But to try and communicate that to other people is usually a waste of time. You know, I mean, like, if, if you read a book by someone who's who's written under the influence of mescaline. I don't know if it makes any sense. I mean, it's interesting to know that it happened, but beyond that, what is there, what is there to gain, you know? Yeah, there is that rock and roll, jazz, blues uh, kind of myth, if you want to call it so, that the greater music is created, you get more down to the core of it through. Well, some, I, tell you, some, you know. I, I think there was a, there's a, always a period at the, uh, at the instigation of an addiction, if you like, where, um, where it seems to balance out that, you know, your creative impulses are sort of heightened by whatever you're taking in. And that's a very short limit. And, and, and the price you pay is that if you keep that up, you end up just passing out usually. I mean, I can remember night after night after night where I'd have a cassette machine and a bottle of brandy, and the morning after, there'd still be the cassette machine empty and the bottle would be empty too. And you'd be empty. And I'd be empty. <laughs> and the, and that, that's usually the, the result. You know, it's like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I know there is. I know some people can can ascribe creativity to taking part, or, and there is, you know, there is some proof that it has heightened their consciousness. Yeah, or opened yeah. doors. And a lot of people who do, who have been shy uh, and non-gregarious uh, with meeting people or being in front of an audience, even after a drink are suddenly, you know, like jack of all trades, sort of master of ceremonies. But it can't, it'll, it won't last long. Right. Yeah. And you couldn't say that any of your compositions ever came out of that, any of the tracks you re-recorded? Oh, some the tracks are definitely, yeah. you know, Bell Bottom Blues was written on Mandrax. <laughs> you know, <laughs> on lying on the floor. <laughs> but does that mean to say, am I, being, right. am I right to say that it couldn't have been written without it? Mm -hmm. I don't think I'm prepared to make that judgment. It might have been a different song. Of, uh, might have been. Bell Bottom Blues? Bell Bottom Blues, yes. <laughs> written on? On Mandrax. <laughs> so I don't know if you've got Mandrax. Yeah. <laughs> you got bell bottoms. <laughs> you're probably more popular now than you've ever been. Do you think you've had to compromise your musical vision along the way to, to gain that height? Uh, I think I have made compromises. Yeah, I've made compromises. But I don't know if that's the, uh, you know, the, the popularity is a, is a result of that. Right. I think. Um, I think the popularity is, it, I, I hope that the popularity I have is a result of a kind of consistent struggle to keep going, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, good old slow hand is that, you know, what the thing I get from fans that have been around a long time is that, you know, they like me because I'm just carry on, really, and don't, 
you don't try and change too much. Do you ever get any kind of prejudice shown towards you because you're white as a blues musician? Did you ever encounter that? Um, yeah, I did actually. One of the one time I got it was from the, from uh, Miles Davis, and and because I don't know, I mean it was a long story, but uh, he was very. At one point he came out in the press and saying, "White players can't play the blues, and, um, especially Eric Clapton." Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, it's a story I'm not really very keen to repeat because of dear, he's dead now, and right. you know, I, I, I honour his memory. But that's the only time it it was actually said in print. I, I do, I do meet it sometimes, but I, I think it's 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 born out of ignorance, really. Right, I interviewed uh, Aimee Erdogan about um, three weeks ago, and he said that when he listens to Young BB King play, that he feels and sees and perceives no difference. Yeah, there's some centre that is just common to both. Yeah, so that's an answer to the Miles Davis. Oh, one. that's nice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay. Who gave you the best career advice you ever got, and what was it? God. <laughs> Stay out of music. I think Muddy Waters, you know, and he just told me to keep playing the blues. To keep it simple. Play, and play what makes you feel good, you know. How do you yeah. think Muddy would react to Edge of Darkness, then? I think he'd like it. Yeah? Yeah, I do. Could I go back to just that question about, you know, and I think that guy mentioned the rock aristocracy, this kind of, uh, the more popular you're going to get, it seems, this, this kind of this rock backlash. The suggestion that maybe you're too rich, you're too content, you don't have the pain or whatever that is necessary to still play that. Uh, yeah. the, you know, this kind of uh, judging it from the outside. Yeah. Could you just address, uh, do you encounter well, those kind of... Yeah, I think, you know, fame and, and money really don't actually take any of that stuff away. Uh, and they really actually are, <clears throat> actually quite, it's quite a lot of contend with to juggle all that sort of stuff, really. Uh, um, and the more, the longer I've been around, the more people I employ... The more people, you know, the responsibility I have is vast now. Uh, you know, I ha almost have to work to feed mouths, you know. I mean, I have to go out and do shows because I've got a staff of people, you know, big number of people who depend on me to do that. And in the, in the process, you know, I make money. And I, I, I like to make money because I like to spend money. And I don't really have, um, I don't really have a, uh, a businessman's approach to life. I don't want to amass money. I don't want to get involved in investments and all that, but because I came from a poor background, I enjoy it. Uh, um, but I, don't, I know, you know, from my experience, that that ain't going to remove me from the hardship of life. And, and in fact, it, it is actually, if you look to that for support and for security and for, for love, it ain't there. Is there a tendency then to put out work that maybe some might see the double album as product? rather than self-expression, or rather than this need to express yourself? Uh, you know what I mean? You get to a point then where you say you have to go out and you have to feed people. Um, you know what I mean? That it's product that you then start producing rather than... I think that would be a trap you could fall into. But I don't think I, don't think I, w I would go for it somehow. I, c I just feel like I'm too, still too much of a purist and a perfectionist to let that go by. I mean, this thing was postponed for a year because I didn't like it the first time around. And we had to do it all again, you know, record 24 nights every night to try and find enough for me to be satisfied with and so i think that answers the question otherwise i would have just put it out a year ago you know no, i, I wanted that? to know if it's also a bur becoming a burden for you because the expectations each year are higher perhaps well it could be i tell you this this next year i, I because of what's happened to me in this year you know i've got a different way of looking at this so i'm actually thinking of well how am i going to put this together in an interesting way because I've got these songs that I'm writing and I want to actually play them. They're not going to be on record so the audience won't know what they're all about. It's a, it's not a burden. It's, it's, a, um, it's a challenge 
should I do it or not? I mean, it's an interesting point of view. But there have been times when it could be a burden. You know, if you're not, if you're tired, and you haven't, you don't want to do the same old material, then it could be a burden. But this particular time, it won't be. Definitely. I mean, it's always different. It's always different. And you will be playing the, the songs. Do you think that somehow, some way, Connor will know that you're playing these songs? Playing? Oh yeah, I think so. I don't know what that, what that is. You know where that, what, how that works is a mystery to me. But I feel it, you know, all the time. And when I play the songs, I evoke it in my mind and in my heart. So, you know, I think I, I would like to share that. Is what it, that's the reason for me doing this. I mean, the, and it'll be the reason for me putting it out on record. Is that I want to share it. Yeah. Much well, make the work. Much much make the, in that kind of context. Continuing that, might there be a tendency to uh, psychologically or emotionally make the work too much? Expect everything back from it as a kind of reaction against the tragedy. You know, you focus yourself yeah, you do. fully on. I tell you, that, that's going to be desire. I mean, what. The thing I, I found this when when I made I made a tape of the three songs in in LA of the three songs that I'd written, and and it was disastrous in a way because it meant they were finished with and I wasn't going to have to play them anymore. And it was like, what now I've got a void, you know. Right. It's like if I make an album of these things and I put it away, what do I do? Oh, it's like really letting go of something. Very very. I mean, it's letting go of him. It is what it is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very, very frightening. But you write more, no doubt. I mean, if the past. I hope that, so. I hope so. I hope so. Maybe I'll just go have a little period of reflection to see what's going to happen next. Because it's not always good just to fill yourself up just for the sake of it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how I'll treat that. Mm -hmm. Aren't you afraid that somehow there will be a point that you don't want to be remembered for this, for this period? I think time, time deals with that on its own. I think time deals with that. I think you. I, I consciously remember the dates, and, you know, and I go to the grave when I'm in England every Thursday on the day we buried him, etc. But time will take care of that, and I have no control over that. There may be a time when it'll just all fade, slip. You know, maybe I, you know, in ten years' time, I'll have a family, but it's never going to be gone, you know, never completely. Has the music helped you rise above other heartaches, be it, yeah. you know, but also the marriage or, or yeah, always, always. It's the best medicine there is. If you were to do a healer album, what musicians, living or dead, would you choose? Why? Oh, at, the, same at as, the same as him. Would that, you? That, yeah, yeah. Bonnie Ray, Robert Cray, all of those, yeah. Uh, you, you Jeff got, Beck, yeah. Yeah. Keith and Cliff. Give Cliff a break. <laughs> you, have, uh, you have this uh, indebtedness to black musicians going back to listening to Bill Bill Brunsey records. Do you think any blacks might have felt you were slapping them in the face when you publicly supported Enoch Powell? Um, yes, and, I suppose, and that's it. Yeah, I suppose they did. I suppose they did. But you know what? I I still stick to what I said about that because you know there was a great irresponsibility in in, in the immigration laws. In that they were just letting people come in and come in and come in without them knowing in advance that there was no work. Right. You know, I mean, the, the people coming in from the, I was in Jamaica around that time watching TV, seeing you know like come to England, you know, and these pictures were like double-decker buses in, in Piccadilly, and like this, this is the life. And whole families were going to England to find abject poverty and, and complete disaster. And I thought that was wrong. And it wasn't, it wasn't, it couldn't be racially prejudiced, my opinion. It's just that Enoch was the only one who was saying anything, albeit it was a little bit slanted to the, to the right. 
but he was the only one that was pointing out that there was something amiss with this system, you know, because he predicted that there would be racial violence if they didn't do something about the immigration. But you didn't want it to be seen as an anti-black uh, position well, on the wider spectrum? No, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't. It couldn't be. You know, mm -hmm. It couldn't be. I mean, I, I suppose it was misconstrued by people that will always misconstrue it, you know. Mm -hmm. But my, my point was, was that he had, a, you know, he was right, and that there was, you know, it was wrong to let everybody come in from all over the world because we, there's no room, you know, there, you know. And what happens, you know, it, it's like unbelievable unemployment and, and you know and housing problems because. Why don't you write about those things in your songs? Would they not be a source of inspiration? Because I get into more trouble. <laughs> and, you know, I'd spend most of my fucking life at press conferences denying it all. <laughs> Good way, Dan. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. Thank you for listening to this highly edited version of the one hour I spent in the company of Eric Clapton in 1991. As I said, if you want to read the full text of the interview, check out joejacksoninterviewer.com.